Welcome to Because You Need to Know, recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio at Chautauqua Institution. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Today's guest is Dr. Irma Becerra. On July 1st, 2018, she became the seventh president of Marymount University. Dr. Becerra is a nationally recognized educator known for innovation, entrepreneurship, and transformational education. She became the first woman to earn a PhD in electrical engineering at Florida International University. How did you find yourself in knowledge management? Great question. Um, When I finished my doctorate, and I want to tell you that I did my doctorate in cybersecurity before the term cybersecurity was coined, I think. I was really intrigued by uh, secure communications and how to integrate some of these uh, algorithms that existed already so that you could transmit some kind of picture or communication mm-hmm. over back then it was ISDN was mm-hmm. a, a high speed network option that you had at your office. So I created a, a, a card, uh, actually hardwired a card. And, and my dissertation was to prove that this concept of, uh, you know, sending a, a image from one computer to another it could be done through in a secure fashion Mm. so first i coded it i I remember that i used i emailed rsa rivers shabmir adelman rsa labs i was i mean i remember we're talking about 1990 barely anybody was on email and I emailed them and I said, oh, I'm interested in using your algorithms for a dissertation. So they were just send me like a whole toolkit. And I first coded this in software and then I actually built a card that plugged into the uh, computer and um, an IBM PC. And, and I sent a picture of the Taj Mahal between these two computers uh-huh. and encrypted. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty proud of my invention, which, you know, regretfully I didn't patent, but, uh, you know, because I published my dissertation, you know, one of those mm-hmm, things that mm-hmm. we do as doctoral students. Yep. And then um, I remember somebody approached me that they had an interest in my dissertation to send secure messages to Cuba. Mm. And, you know, I I was both intrigued and uh, and concerned (laughs) (laughs) because I really did not want uh, that was a little bit more excitement for my life that I wanted like I really wasn't sure if I wanted the secret service to show up at my door and I said you know this has been fun I don't know if my potential for research yeah. is there in this area of secure communications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about being ahead of your time. Mm-hmm. And people were beginning to talk about knowledge management. And what I liked about it was that being a PhD electrical engineering, to think about ap- applications that make sense and make, you know, enterprises stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do we effectively capture knowledge and share it and 
and then apply it and or discover it. And I had the opportunity to my first postdoc uh, was working for a, a NASA-funded center at the University of Florida. And while I was, and my job was to help them commercialize technology. But when I was doing that work, I, I met some people at NASA and I shared with them my interest in finding better ways to manage knowledge. And they were very interested and and started chatting with the deputy uh, director for Kennedy, uh, James Jennings, and he was deeply worried. He was deeply worried because all this knowledge that had been created mm-hmm. as a as a result of the space missions was walking out the door every day. Mm-hmm. And I remember that the standard procedure at Kennedy Space Center when somebody would retire, and in, invariably, you know, NASA uh, had this great privilege that people that went to work for NASA they they didn't leave. So so they had mm-hmm. the corporate memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was you went to work with NASA and you were there for 30 years. So if, if NASA needed their corporate memory, you just needed to reach out to that person who held the knowledge. But Jim was very preoccupied that every time somebody left the uh, space agency, what they, the standard procedure was you take their computer, you make a copy of their of their drive, and then you put that copy somewhere and they had <laughs> oh my goodness they had reams and reams of paper that uh, they had at a storage facility uh, and oftentimes even when someone passed then somebody would be called and say we, like the widow would call mm-hmm. you know i have all these boxes oh, sure sure in my garage yeah. how what do i do with them right. i'm sure there's in, important stuff in there so uh, so it was it became apparent that organizations have to do better job at uh, at managing their knowledge and what a better organization to get the opportunity to to work and kind of roll up my sleeves and offer some innovative ideas yeah. a better organization than NASA the premier knowledge organization for our nation right so that's how my I kind of fell into this conversation mm-hmm. as it was beginning to get started and had the immense privilege of working hand in hand with with NASA mm-hmm. uh, to offer them some ideas on how they could better uh, manage their knowledge. And that's how my research in knowledge management got a start. Yeah. So then what was the leap or what was the bridge from that experience to where your feet got wet in KM to being a publisher and an expert on KM? Well, first I got this, I had the opportunity to apply for a small grant. And I remember that it was a $55,000 grant uh, where I did a knowledge management assessment for Kennedy Space Center. And I remember that I got a a friend who was a consultant at an IT consulting firm. And I said to him, why don't you work with me on this interesting project? And I remember we would go up and down driving from Miami to Kennedy Space Center for hours and talk about, uh, you know, we talked to a lot of people at Kennedy and got to understand what their needs were. And then we would put our uh, systems had and, and offer ideas on how uh, some of these uh, challenges about managing knowledge in their context, yeah. what are some potential solutions for that? Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, remember, we're talking about 1995, mm-hmm. 1998, and 
for example, there were very there were very few platforms for knowledge sharing in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. That's where document management systems are emerging. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, you know, NASA has no shortage of smart people. So you had a lot of people that were developing technologies like document management sharing solutions, mm. and but they were number of different versions. Yeah, sure. Right. It was not just one, but many of them. Uh, And they were so very cool because some of them would be, you could have your files be invisible. mm, How about that? mm, Document management system with invisible files. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to say it was a really tremendous time of of creativity where I was exposed to a lot of very creative people. But through my conversations with them, offer some ideas about how they could bridge this gap of Mm. of sharing knowledge or capturing knowledge in a in a more efficient and effective way. Mm -hmm. So so many of my projects led to, of course, journal papers, and then those journal papers led to chapters of a book in knowledge management. Mm. So that's. That's how my journey uh, from PhD student to uh, actually having a, a, a job at a, as a postdoc later on as a assistant professor, uh, looking at ways to, you know, then sh- collaborating with uh, my friend, longtime uh, collaborator Rajiv Saverwal uh, on different many different projects at NASA and mm-hmm. then publishing our results to really help you know share that not our own knowledge with others. Yeah. So where do you see the future of KM? Where because you you've talked about it in such uh, earthy terms you, of this organic way you've got into it and your yeah. interests and all that with the prospects of artificial intelligence and wetware and three-dimensional everything and just all the things that are just currently cutting edge, where are we going? Where do you see it? Well, I I think that we are a lot more democratic uh, about our knowledge in organizations today than we were back then. I think that organizations have figured out how to appropriately um, reinforce those behaviors uh, and that people don't feel like they need to hoard their knowledge, but how important it is to be recognized as a subject matter expert. And and I think a lot has happened in organizations where I think that not only from the technology perspective, but from the cultural perspective, mm. where people feel how that is important to share knowledge and that that's important part of their job, and and that those were some of the in the early days that, that a lot of our conversations center about around that. Mm-hmm. How do you encourage experts to not hoard their knowledge, but to share with others? Yeah. Culturally, what are the changes that you need to make so you ensure that that people feel comfortable with sharing what they know? I remember that I had a very interesting assignment years later, and I'm now I'm talking to you about close to year 2000, probably 2000 and 
2004 or 2006, when I actually spent an entire year at NASA. Uh, I was on loan to NASA headquarters right after the Columbia accident. And that's uh, and one of the big criticisms that NASA had received is that, that NASA was not effectively sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if, if you look at that moment uh, when the Columbia accident it, it disintegrated upon re-entry. Uh, you may recall that problems stem from uh, a heavy piece of ice that broke off from one of the wings uh, of the Columbia uh, as the Columbia was when it was launched. Mm. But that that nobody was aware of the damage to the integrity of the vehicle until the vehicle re-entered the atmosphere mm-hmm. upon re-entry. So, but there were people at NASA that may have suspected mm-hmm. that that something happened. But it was so hard for that subject matter expert who may be an expert in tiles, which is what protected the vehicle mm-hmm. upon re-entry, for the tile expert to to actually share their preoccupation with the um, group that is in Houston, right? Uh, making sure that the vehicle make, makes it back to Earth, mm-hmm. together with other cultural issues that NASA faced. But this, how do you give that subject matter expert a voice right. and say, it's okay, yes. and for you to say, uh oh, mm-hmm. Houston, we have a problem, yeah, right? No right. pun intended. Right. And and that there will be enough people around that will be willing to listen and really try to capture. Well, and I, um, isn't that isn't that just a truism for any organization for the most part? Correct. Any, I mean that that just there's a fear base there where people think there's going to be punitive or some yes. kind of blowback because they oh hey you know if you're not yes. playing on the game with us you know you're against us and it's yes. like uh, but how how do you institute that and you've you've said it multiple times about culture and a, a yes. couple of things come up for me. So is there a regional or a type of people that are just naturally better at knowledge management versus others? Um, I think people that are better, I don't know. I don't know that that this is a, something in your DNA. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, I, 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 I think there might be, you know, I think yeah. there's, cause there's some people that are good at leadership and some that are yes. not. And there's yeah. some people that are good at, at, uh, lifelong learning and others yes. that are not. So I, I think yeah. there's gotta be something that's more than just nurture Yes. versus, well, uh, that's a very good point. I think that as a leader, if one of the good, let's say, habits to have is to be intellectually curious mm-hmm. and uh, and intellectually curious and, and, you know, think about why is this happening and why uh, am I observing this type of behavior in my organization? For example, I remember when I was doing this this research at NASA where I was alone with uh, with NASA for a year mm-hmm. and actually visited every center I found that that it was not shortage of technology because yeah. there was no shortage of technology there as a matter of fact NASA had 37 knowledge management systems wow but they were not integrated talk about something that serves a local need but not a 
a glo- Enter- you know no, nothing saying, enterprise it was and that, and, yeah. and not an enterprise right made. so oh. and that that happens a lot of times where you know an organization that is large mm-hmm. it you know finds it very difficult to move the vessel because there's all these pockets, but sometimes a small organization suffers from the same thing. Sure. So, and one thing I'm doing, and this is, uh, I constantly reflect on now my role as university president, because people ask me, well, are you using your knowledge management? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have this thing that you have to eat your own food. I better be using my knowledge management. Um, Well, I certainly understand the importance and the strategic advantage of being a collaborative organization. Mm -hmm. That is number one key takeaway from my knowledge management days. So what I have done since I arrived is that my my cabinet meets every week, mm-hmm. every Tuesday from 10 to 12. And if you are not in town, you call in. Mm-hmm. But then not only that, I am restructuring our organization. So we're co-located because mm-hmm. it used to be that my office, the president, you know, I'm in a building, but the provost is on the opposite end Ooh. of campus. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The provost is going to be across from my office <laughs> come in a couple of weeks. And it's so important yeah. for your cabinet yeah. to be co-located because yeah. remember, we used to talk about how important the conversations around the yeah. water cooler uh, are. Yes. Yes. And I think there is a significance for us moving closer together because we want to be cohesive sure. and collaborative and we want to make sure that everybody knows that this is this is on our agenda. That was yeah. one, of the, one of the big takeaways I was uh, part of the Army Military Intelligence Lessons Learned team, and uh, we would go out and talk to organizations that had just got back, military units that had just got back from Iraq or Afghanistan. And one of the key takeaways was an organization in Texas that had just come back from Iraq, that he did the same thing, that they were co-located. His his organization was in the same, which was unusual, especially in a wartime situation. You you occupy a space, you get what you get and and make it work. But yeah. uh, one of his things was that uh, he identified that he was they were co-located was one of the key yeah. ingredients to success, because that that face to face time, you know, being yeah. able to have those moments where infrequent or or uh, not infrequent, but indirect knowledge exchange can happen. You know, just that <laughs> organic. Hey. Did you know about this? Um, and that, in, and I know in your text, uh, you talk a lot, uh, you, you bring up the concept of trust and yes. having trust as a relationship builder and a conduit for knowledge exchange to even happen to begin yes. with. There's a validity to that, that I think a lot of organizations don't really throw a lot of credence to or towards that. That's a thing that that's a, that's really a cultural piece that you can tell when it's not there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you know, in, in my in the in the book, we, we talk about a lot of organizational as well as technological. And I think that that is something that I it's important to always keep it in mind. It's not only about the technology mm-hmm. and so many examples of failed technology rollouts as it relates to knowledge management, because nobody paid attention to the culture right. and you really need to. That's the 
step one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> step one, really. So yeah. if you were going to sit down and have coffee with a young CEO that just took over a small organization and you wanted to counsel him and the top three things to think about when you talk about knowledge handling and knowledge and the culture, what would you say the top three things you need to do? Well, I think... First, it's important to observe, you know, what culture I am walking into. Is there a collaborative culture in place or are people used to having one-on-ones with everybody? Yeah. We have to, for me, it's important uh, that we look at uh, problems from from multiple lenses. And that's why I think that when you have a, a group of people looking at a problem and, and opining on what are the decisions that need to be taken, there is strength in the collective. I know that in my heart. The way we make decisions here is we're sitting around the table and and we all talk about, you know, this is my perspective. And then if, it, if we do not all agree, because consensus is a beautiful dream that uh, <laughs> that it's nice to think about and, 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 and really ponder about in few times in life, you get that that gift of consensus but more often than not you you could get a majority uh, of opinions uh, in one direction so so oftentimes I say well you know what do you guys think and, and we make decisions that way and I why I like to do it is uh, because I think we make better better decisions when we are when we do so in the collective yeah um, and it's really about looking at problems from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And the more complex problems, the more than that is necessary. Yeah. So many examples of companies that make bad decisions. True. Also because they have a whole bunch of people that all think alike. And even when they agree on decisions, they don't get that different perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's why you want to have uh, also people that are diverse in your team, not only in ethnicity, and I have to tell you that I'm very excited that I have one of the most diverse cabinets any uh, university president may have. Congratulations. But I also, yes, but I think that the whole issue of cognitive diversity, that we may think about things in different ways. Uh, so it's not about the color of your skin, what language you speak or where you come from, but do you think that you can see things in a different way? Mm. And uh, and I think that that's a, and it's not even your discipline. It's not, people say, well, if you have two engineers, <laughs> oh, you're going to two engineers are going to think of, well, it's not the discipline thing. I mean, uh, you know, you could have two engineers view things in a completely different yeah. way. And, you and, know, and, we're and, not and, close and, and of it, each other. And, 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 and <laughs> it's not an age thing either, right? It's not I, an age. It, hey, what's I an mean, age? It, it's, it, well, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's easy for some people to say, well, young people are easy to adapt to things or easier to change versus yeah. an older person. Uh, yeah. But that, that collaborative mentality of one of that is that is focused more on the mission more than uh, individual issues or whatnot. Uh, boy, that's, that's, that's a lot to think about for running an organization. Yeah, but here I am. I'm privileged that I have uh, young people that I work with them, mm-hmm. and that I get constantly. I get 
let's say, invigorated by their views. Mm. And I really enjoy uh, listening to students. So some of my cabinet complaints, why you want they know the students know that they can send me an email yeah. uh, and they can catch me while I'm walking around campus and they can tell me what they like and they don't like. And mm-hmm. I listen to them. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I change it. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, don't listen to the students. Oh. I'm like, yes, of course I'm going to. Of course Wait a I'm minute. Who's the customer yeah. here? Wait a minute. Yeah. So, but it's very exciting for them because we've had a lot of transformation this year hmm. and things that we really needed to listen to them. And they're very excited mm-hmm. about, and they constantly tell me, Dr. Becerra, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for all the changes that you've brought. Mm-hmm. And I am just like approaching my 11th month. And, but I, I think as a result, we have a stronger university. We have a happier student body, one student body that is, that is accomplishing more and is being more successful. And I have to say the same thing, um, for, you know, maybe most of my team, I'm not going to say everybody because everybody feels the pressure in a different way, but most of my team and, and most of my faculty. So I think we have turned the corner around many important decisions Mm -hmm. and some of them have been difficult, but I feel that we are all stronger as a result because it's really, we have listened, we've listened and we've made decisions in the collective. So that has made us stronger. So everything you're telling me, I keep getting the image. When I was a kid, this was a kind of a safety mantra that became uh, evident uh, around railroad tracks, right? Because railroad tracks were a source of multiple accidents and issues and health, you know. So stop, look and listen was like this thing that was at the, you know, stop, look and listen. And and basically what you just told me is it's that simple. Just just stop, look and listen, just absorb yeah. in, in, I think what you have expressed was that you gave a credence, not credence, you've given liberty to the constituency, not just within your cabinet level and the management, the administration, the leadership, but to the students, you've made them part of the process. You've made them participants in their own destiny. And I think yeah. you, that's a good knowledge management leadership position to take yes. in any organization. Yes. So I, I totally agree with you. And I think that focus on collaboration and the, like you say, stop, look and listen. It's really a byproduct of my knowledge management training. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's one way that I bring my uh, expertise into my leadership style, if I, if I may say. Well, President Becerra, to wrap all things up, I'd like you to tell me what knowledge management is. Well, so as, as you know, the, the definition that we uh, put in our book is the systems and processes that allow you to uh, discover, capture, uh, share, and apply your knowledge uh, at a, an organizational level. So, and these four knowledge management processes, I'm so excited when people use them uh, because I think, you know, Rajiv and I, when we were doing our research in our early days, this this was a very important concept to kind of uh, synthesize uh, these main processes around which, you know, knowledge exists. And and I think it helped us uh, when we were looking at organizations having knowledge management challenges, what type of challenge are they having? Are they they having 
uh, challenges with discovering knowledge or are they with sharing knowledge and are you they trying to capture or are they trying to apply it mm. and uh, and that is uh, and sometimes you wanted to do more than one thing and I remember when I was teaching uh, these concepts to my students and they were they were sent each one of my graduate students that would look at a problem in their companies where they were working and or organizations and what are their challenges and they come up with a solution and then sometimes they needed to do more but Dr. Becerra I, I need to not only uh, share it we need to apply it as well I go well that's perfectly fine it doesn't it's not confined in just one box mm -hmm. but to really kind of be able to tease out what, where is my point of pain because like you know you can't fix the world in one fine sweep yeah. so yeah. that you can at least take a step that gets you closer to right. meeting some need yes. and then you can show it and the impact that you're having and then you can take on the next challenge right because then mm -hmm. we're never done mm -hmm. yeah 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 so very exciting president becerra thank you very much for your time and your sharing and your passion of uh, knowledge management and best of thank successes you. to you and your endeavors Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. I have enjoyed uh, sharing with you and with our audience and looking forward to joining you again in the future. Recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio at Chautauqua Institution, Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.